0: This is The Rounds Table. All right, welcome back Rounds Table listeners. Uh, This week's episode is all about vaccination. A little bit of flu, a little bit of RSV. Uh, John, which article are you talking about?
1: So first up, we're going to talk about respiratory syncytial virus pre-fusion F protein vaccine in older adults. This was by Pappy et al published in New England Journal of Medicine, February 2023.
0: Yep, this article definitely caught my eye. So what was the research question here?
1: Here they wanted to know what is the efficacy of a vaccine against RSV in older adults? And why was this important? Uh, You know, RSV is an important cause of morbidity and mortality in older adults, especially in those with comorbidities. There's some data from 2019 that showed that RSV accounted for almost half a million hospitalizations and 33,000 deaths among adults in industrialized countries. We don't have any specific treatments for RSV, and so far there's really been no approved vaccines to prevent infection. There is a candidate RSV vaccine that's been shown to elicit a higher neutralizing activity in some animal models. And then some phase one and two studies show that in humans, it was associated with inducing an antibody response with an acceptable safety profile. So this is the phase three trial of the vaccine to assess for efficacy. Cool. And walk us through the study design. This was a phase three randomized controlled trial done in 17 countries, in, including countries in Africa, Asia, Australia, Europe, and North America. Um, those living in the northern hemisphere were followed for three consecutive RSV seasons, and that's typically you know autumn and winter. Uh, participants were 60 years of age or older, and they had uh, and they could have had some chronic medical conditions, but these had to be considered medically stable. Now, prior to RSV season, participants were randomized one-to-one to to get the vaccine or placebo and this was an injection one time into the deltoid muscle. Uh, Participants and trial team members responsible for evaluation were unaware of trial group assignments. The primary objective here was efficacy of the single dose vaccine to prevent RSV infection. Some secondary objectives included assessment for preventing severe infection, uh, differences in infection between the subclasses, there's an an RSV-A and RSV-B, and some other stuff as well. Safety and immunogenicity were also evaluated. Uh, Efficacy assessment was based on PCR testing, and so surveillance was done by spontaneous reporting by participants, uh, as well as regularly scheduled contact by the study group. Participants were supposed to report to site staff if they had at least two symptoms of infection, lasting at least 24 hours, Uh, 30 days after injection. Staff also contacted participants every two weeks during the RSV season and monthly. Thereafter participants performed nasal swabs within 48 hours of symptoms. Uh, acute rsv infection was defined as you know two respiratory signs or symptoms or at least one respiratory sign and symptom and one systemic symptom lasting at least 24 hours and then uh, you know a positive swab and all cases were confirmed by an external blinded adjudication committee the primary efficacy analysis included externally adjudicated cases only safety data included self-reported symptoms and were graded mild to severe Uh, And the plan was to enroll 25,000 participants. Analysis was done in a modified exposed population, which included those who got the vaccine or placebo, uh, but did not report an RSV related infection within the first 15 days. Uh, And then GSK, which is the current name of the pharmaceutical company, uh, employees of GSK were involved in the trial design. Uh, There was an independent external statistical analysis.
0: Gotcha. So phase three, double-blind, randomized trial, RSV vaccine times one versus placebo. And the primary outcome here was efficacy against RSV infection with lots of secondary endpoints. Is that about right? You got it. Cool. And what did the participants look like who were included?
1: So 26,664 participants were enrolled May, 2021 to January, 2022, and ultimately about 24,996 were included. The average age was 69.5. 40% had coexisting conditions at baseline uh, that were known to increase risk of severe RSV infection. 79% were white. 92% were from Northern Hemisphere countries. Uh, 60% were considered fit based on a frailty score. And only 1% were living in long term care. All right. And did it work? What was a primary outcome here? So, in total, 47 participants got RSV during a median follow up of 6.7 months. There were seven in the vaccine group versus 40 in the placebo group, and this corresponded to a vaccine efficacy of 82.6%. Efficacy against severe infection was 94.1%, and this corresponded to one case in the vaccine group versus 17 cases in the placebo group. There were only two participants who were hospitalized, and group assignment was actually blinded for this, Uh, and efficacy was similar against those subtypes, RSV-A versus RSV-B. Now, side effect-wise, pain was the commonest, uh, and specifically was pain at the injection site. Uh, About 60% of patients in the vaccine group, compared with only 9% in the placebo group, experienced this. Uh, For systemic symptoms, fatigue was the commonest reaction, 33% versus 16%. Uh, Most symptoms resolved within four days. The mean duration was one to two days. Any grade three adverse event uh, that was deemed related to vaccine or placebo occurred in 0.9% in the vaccine group and 0.2% in the placebo group. Uh, Death occurred in 0.4% in both groups. And there were three serious adverse events that were considered related to vaccine or placebo, but again, the group assignment was kept blinded.
0: Wow, this is very impressive. Uh, Before I get too excited, what are some limitations?
1: Well, you know, I guess the trial did take place during COVID-19. And there were numerous public health initiatives that were in place that might have lowered spread or severity of RSV infection. But I mean, with that said, they still saw a pretty impressive benefit um i don't know if this really matters like could there have been some relative risk for unmasking given pain was such a predominant symptom from the injection of the vaccine compared with the placebo and then i don't know about you but rsv isn't something that we often see admitted but when i think about my kind of anecdotal cases of patients I don't know that they would have been included in this trial. The cases I think about were probably those who were quite frail, uh, probably more likely to have a lot of other comorbidities and maybe even from long-term care. And like, you know, a lot of those patients were not part of this study.
0: Yeah, that's a good point for the external generalizability. You know, the aspect of whether or not there could have been a lack of blinding because people who got the rsv vaccine had so much more pain than placebo i'm less concerned about that right unless like they're talking to their buddies who are part of the study and like oh my arm doesn't hurt at all um but no matter how much it hurts i don't think that would then affect or influence their ability to then contract rsv later but who knows but but definitely the external generalizability is important so what's the take-home point here?
1: Uh, well, a single dose of RSV vaccine is efficacious against RSV-related infections.
0: Yeah, it's this is incredible. Okay, so is it practice changing for you?
1: I mean, I guess it's not yet approved in Canada, but it is a pretty big deal. Very impressive outcomes here. You know, it was in the news, but I actually think it was related to a different pharmaceutical company's vaccine about possibly some adverse events related to uh, Guillain-Barre, but I don't think that that was the case for this specific vaccine. I think it was actually the Pfizer one.
0: Yeah, I think, I suspect it will be sort of Health Canada and FDA approved in the next six to nine months. And then um, I I think I'll be, you know, an early adopter to make sure uh, older adults um, in our lives, aka, no, I won't say mom and dad are older adults, but you know, people with the last name Freilich or Figaro related to us, I'll be advocating (laughs) um, that they Definitely get this. And then, you know, the origin story for the development of the RSV vaccine is actually pretty uh, incredible and, and sad. And, you know, um, you you talked about how this is this pre-fusion F-protein vaccine. So um, this was a few decades back now when they first trialed a vaccine for RSV. It wasn't pre-fusion. And in the trial where they gave it to children, because, of course, RSV mainly affects children, um, the the children who got the vaccine actually had worse outcomes. So it was associated with an increased risk of death and severe RSV. And it's been quite a fascinating story to, to follow to then this inflection point where they realized, oh, holy shit. It all has to do with um, identifying and and vaccinating the molecule when it's in this pre-fusion state, which is just pretty fascinating in the, you know, it's nerdy and it's fascinating. um, And then it's also, you just sort of think of the tail and and, and I'm sure after those initial trials, they were like, uh, okay, time to abandon this like this is dead okay like we cannot pursue this further uh, but look where we've come a pretty remarkable story
1: it is pretty impressive and and I did not know that history but you know there is an article that I think was um, not exactly an editorial but an accompanying paper that really did speak to the history of the vaccine because they were indicating that like research goes back to like 1960s or something for trying to come up with a vaccine for RSV so it's it's quite a uh, lesson in medical history if you will
0: yeah, I totally agree. All right. Well, changing gears, we will switch to uh, the rival journey, journal to New England. Uh, so that's Lancet. And this study is entitled Electronic Nudges to Increase Influenza Vaccination Uptake in Denmark, a nationwide pragmatic registry-based randomized trial, aka Nudge. Uh, it was published in March 2023. And uh, the first authors like, uh, maybe just done his PhD, but like a resident. His name is Nicholas uh, Johansson. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your uh, last name correctly, Nicholas, but this is incredible. And then my good friend um, Tor Biering Sorensen is a senior author. So uh, I'm clearly biased in in why I chose this article.
1: Nudge is a great name. But beyond that,
0: what was the research question here? Can behavioral nudges via e-letter system increase flu vaccine uptake among older adults in Denmark?
1: Okay, why was this important for you?
0: It's the flu. We know that influenza causes half a million deaths per year globally, if not more. And uh, the highest risk group are older adults, especially those with cardiovascular disease. We know that the flu vaccine uptake is suboptimal, especially in North America. So how can we make it better? How can we improve upon it?
1: Okay, great. Uh, What was the design of the study?
0: So this was an industry-funded, pragmatic, unblinded registry-based cluster randomized trial. Um, It was conducted in 2022 and 2023 uh, during the flu season in Denmark. And when I say cluster randomized, I mean, it wasn't individual people, it was households. So if you and I lived in the same house, John, uh, we'd get randomized to the same arm of this trial. Uh, They received an exemption from the Research Ethics Board, um, so there was out the need for informed consent. Uh, We we wouldn't be able to do this in Canada because our uh, REB is, well i will just hold my editorial comments but this wouldn't be possible in canada definitely not in the us Uh, but their argument was pretty simple um they're just testing different strategies to increase flu shot uptake they're not infringing on autonomy whatsoever so they included adults age 65 and up they excluded uh, adults who were in a nursing home or if they had an exemption from this danish mandatory governmental e-letter system uh the intervention so nine different arms for different types of electronic letters that could be received. I won't go through all of them, but there was like just a standard letter um, that people get each year. There was a standard letter, but they got a repeat letter 14 days later. There was sort of like a depersonalized letter. Um, there was a letter where it was uh, written and signed by somebody in high authority in Denmark. Uh, there was a loss framing letter, right? If two people few people uh, get the vaccine flu will spread there is the gain framing letter uh, protect yourself and protect others and then there was a cardiovascular gain you know it can protect against heart attacks for example uh, and the outcome here was nice and clean the receipt of flu vaccination um, prior to the end of the flu season and All the data was sourced from the Danish registry. Okay. Um, There's no collecting data manually. It's just as they interact with the healthcare system in Denmark, um, they then scrape the data from the registry uh, and that informs the results for the
1: trial. Very cool. All right. So, what did the patients look like?
0: Uh, so there are 1.2 million uh, adults in Denmark who are over the age of 65. Um, they excluded 56,000 who are living in long-term care home, and then another 200,000 who had an exemption for these electronic letters. Uh, so in total, they had just under 1 million people included in their study, and it was spread across Uh, 700,000 households. Um, Average age was 74, 52% were women, uh, 77% got their flu shot the year prior, uh, one third had cardiovascular disease, and one in 10 had a history of cancer.
1: Pretty impressive. 77% got it last year. Good on them. Uh, Okay, what was the main result here?
0: Yeah, so um, overall, you know, like, uh, what works best? If you repeat the letter, okay? If you got a repeat letter uh, 14 days later, um, the probability you get your flu shot was 81% um, compared to all of the other approaches, which was up, approximately 80 percent and the other one that did show a one percent increase was the letter that was framed in terms of a cardiovascular gain right if you get this flu shot um, it's known to reduce your risk of heart attack stroke etc um so you know the baseline uptake was about 80 percent and the two approaches just to reiterate this uh that were sort of the winning approaches were either you got a letter again 14 days later uh, later um or your letter was framed in terms of a cardiovascular gain. Uh, It's important to think about what are the costs of these letters. So each letter cost about three pennies Canadian. All right, so not very expensive. And they did lots of secondary analyses or really subgroup analyses to see was there a particular subgroup that was even more likely um, to get the flu shot based on how these letters were framed. And there was no clear subgroup effect that was observed
1: wow okay very interesting uh so what were some of the limitations here before you hear about the take-home
0: so it was an unblinded study uh, of course you can't blind the participants um from knowing what letter they got and the outcomes were kind of unblinded but when you think about it um whether or not these people then went on to get their flu vaccine it's not as if like the investigators might have you know been even more keen to report it if they did versus they didn't get the flu vaccine because it was just how often they went and then got the flu vaccine so i would say it's like a kind of blinded um outcome uh, there were no hard endpoints, right so um did this one percent absolute increase in receiving the flu um a vaccine did that correlate to improved hard outcomes that's yet to be answered and of course, we don't know how all well the supplies in the long term care home or nursing home setting, but that's a different population. So that's a, a very small limitation.
1: Okay. Uh, what were the take home points here?
0: Reminders work. Um, this is just a really elegant demonstration um, that reminders work. They are effective, uh, as are uh, framing it in terms of a cardiovascular gain. I think behavioral science suggests that. Uh, we respond much more to loss aversion, right? I care more about if I lose $5 today than if you give me $5 today. Um, but in this case, that didn't seem to be the case.
1: It's also just another uh, amazing example of how good administrative data systems can be when you can actually pull this type of study off across an entire country. Like, wow, amazing.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. The 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 opera, operative words here are can be right like in canada we're nowhere near being able to do this um ices which is you know uh, that's ontario's um data uh, infrastructure no way like um i i have a lot of qualms with ices in particular their costs and their amount of bureaucracy to get a study done they could never do this but hopefully in five to ten years time uh, maybe we could do this in ontario
1: all right so what do you think uh send a letter change your practice what would you do
0: Yeah, I think this is practice changing, you know, like, uh, I'll just remind my patients, okay, I'll give them a bunch of reminders. And I'll also frame it as for people who are on the fence. Well, you know what, it's important to realize that if you get the flu vaccine, you know, it has cardioprotective effects, it could reduce your risk of a heart attack or a stroke. Yeah, I'm going to try this out for uh, next year's flu season. I'll I'll let you know how it goes.
1: Yeah, I like that. Okay, sounds good.
0: All right, John. So last up is the good stuff. Uh, What good stuff caught your eye?
1: Uh, so, you know, not a specific link or an event per se, but it's March Madness season. And my goodness, the basketball is so good and the upsets are so good. I think as of the time of this recording, one of the bigger ones with Princeton coming from behind and beating Arizona, but uh, man, lots of basketball going on. Check it out.
0: Yeah, that was truly revenge of the nerds on that one. I don't think anyone anticipated them winning. <laughs> um, so, so for for me, um, uh, it's a great podcast, actually, that I came across. Um, it's by uh, Kareem Ladek. He's a rheumatologist and uh, he locums in the Sioux, And that's how I got to know Kareem. And it's a really great podcast. It's called Rheumatology for the Royal College. I, I was listening to a recent episode on gout. And as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, I learned something new. Like, for example, John, I just learned that uh, now we should probably start allopurinol when somebody's in a flare of their gout, which I had, I thought was always a no-no. So anyway, check it out. Definitely worth listening to.
1: I know that keeps on changing. Yeah, maybe you should just call it like rheumatology for real life. I think I need it. I've already done the real college, but I need a tune-up, I think.
0: Yeah, you and I both, John. All right, well, uh, great chatting. Uh, Talk again soon and take care. Talk to you later, Mike.
1: The Rounds Table is hosted online at healthydebate.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Rounds table. Thanks to our audio editors, Emilio Garcia-Flores and Arjun Sharma. Also thanks to Amol Verma, founder of The Rounds Table, and Kieran Quinn, the previous director. We'd also like to give a big thanks to Seema Marwaha, editor-in-chief at Healthy Debate, for all the support.